Welcome to Rooftop Perspectives, inspiring Christ followers to join Jesus in his mission in their everyday lives. Welcome to Rooftop Perspectives. My name is Michael Brewer, and this is John Whaley. Good morning, John. Good morning, sir. It is great to be with you again for yes. uh, another exciting conversation. This this. This is one of the most refreshing conversations I think we will have heard from somebody new. I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, we're glad you've joined us today. And our goal each week is to encourage you, to inspire you to join Jesus in his mission in your everyday lives. And we have the privilege of doing that by sharing the stories of people who are doing just that, joining Jesus on his mission in their everyday lives as well as reports from how God's moving in the world all across the globe. And John, this is an incredible special guest. Uh, introduce him to everybody for today. Well, several months ago, um, Michael, I was invited to a prayer and planning retreat with Doug Small and several leaders just to discuss how we see God moving in revival and awakening and to pray into that together. And it was at that retreat that I met today's guest. David Nixon. David has served with the Church of the Nazarene most of his life as an ordained elder, a youth pastor, and a lead pastor. Uh, most recently, before he retired, he has served as the district superintendent for the Dallas District in Texas and the Southern Florida District. Um, he's a man on mission, as you will see today, who loves the Lord. He's passionate about prayer, and he has committed his life to advancing the kingdom of God across the globe. As we are recording this today, he is on his 48th mission trip in Uruguay and, and discipling and training indigenous pastors. Um, and as you'll see, um, he is no longer a spring chicken. He's been doing this a long time, but God has blessed him with incredible strength and grace and energy um, just to join Jesus in his mission. Of all the guests we've had, Michael, that, that exemplifies what it means to join Jesus in his mission. I believe David Nixon is probably one of the few that really fleshes it out fully yes. in so many ways. He's a man full of stories, and, and we had so many wonderful stories. This is actually a two-part conversation. And so you're going to watch part one, and next week you'll see part two. So enjoy part one of my time together with David Nixon. David, it is so great to have you today with me on Rooftop Perspectives. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. And, and uh, I know that there are people who are wondering who David Nixon is. Uh, so I would love for you to share your story about your journey to Christ, your family, God's call on your life. Um, anything else you want us to know about David Nixon? Well, I uh, came to Christ early in my life. My uh, my dad was a preacher in the Church of Nazarene, ended up giving uh, 40 years to the church in ministry before he went to heaven. But I came to Christ early in my, uh, in my life. At about the age of six, uh, I was baptized. I like to describe my, uh, my experience as a journey of grace. Uh, in my denomination's theology, we talk about prevenient grace, the grace that goes before salvation that leads us to repentance and faith. Well, 
prevenient grace was an operation in our home through godly parents that uh, took us to church, prayed with us. And it was easy, it was an easy environment in which to uh, receive Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I, I must say, it, it was the best decision I ever made in my life uh, to come to Christ early and enjoy a relationship with him uh, for now, having walked with him for uh, over 70 years. Amen. And I, uh, I just praise him for his uh, um, sanctifying grace. In college, I, uh, I think I, that was when I had my Romans 12.1 moment and uh, presented myself as a living sacrifice after a great struggle. I mean, uh, a week-long struggle in which um, somehow I thought, well, I've got to seek and seek and seek and seek in order to find. And it seemed that the Spirit spoke to me on the... <laughs> When I hate to admit, I almost gave God an ultimatum and said, now, Lord, if this uh, if this is real, it needs to happen now, or I'm, I'm walking away. And it seemed that the Spirit spoke and said, uh, David, it's not more seeking I want. It's mm -hmm. more trusting. That's good. Do you trust me with your life? And I said, a simple yes and began a, a deeper level of relationship with him and i have seen his uh, sustaining grace in my journey throughout my life um, and uh, his keeping grace through uh, 25 years as a pastor started in a very small church of 49 mm. that God uh, God enabled us to turn around and uh, we uh, I've had six uh, churches in desperate need of some kind of turnaround in uh, in their, uh, health and vitality and god help us helped us to be victorious uh in that amen uh, great. went to went to college in nashville tennessee at our regional college known as uh, treveca nazarene university mm -hmm. on to seminary in kansas city uh, where i got my master's of divinity degree and uh, met my wife and uh, was married, graduated. And about 10 years into ministry, I, I had always been uh, educated in uh, Nazarene denomina uh, denominational uh, uh, schools. And I, I got an opportunity to go to Drew University Theological School oh, wow. and and did my doctor of ministry degree there and uh, graduated in 1980. But uh, who is David Nixon? Well, he's a, 
He's a pastor. Uh, after 25 years in uh, pastoral ministry, in some pretty difficult assignments, I might say, some pretty hard places. Mm -hmm. um, I guess uh, those that have observed my life in ministry thought me capable of managing uh, uh, many congregations. So I was appointed a district superintendent of the Dallas district in uh, 1995, gave 10 years there before uh, being transferred to Southern Florida, my home state, and uh, actually became the district superintendent over the church that I that I graduated from high school in. So it was <laughs> like, going that's the skinny version. Oh, that's great. Well, we both have Florida in common because Florida is my home state. And um, all my family is from the Panhandle, and I grew up in South Florida and Fort Lauderdale. So, uh, oh, yeah. so I, I, I'm, um, there. Yeah. I'm going to Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to Fort Lauderdale on Sunday as first leg in a in in my missionary uh, uh, journey. I am heading to Guyana. Oh, fantastic! On, on my 48th uh, mission trip. Um, and uh, somewhere along the line, uh, oh, when I was a young pastor, I thought I'd like to make 20 mission trips in my life. <laughs> well, I reached that in my early 60s in 2008. And, and the Lord seemed to say, well, why don't you set a little higher goal than that? So I set 50. And I'm now within reach of reaching that 50th one. And uh, that's great. I, I enjoy it. And I will be... Uh, heading up the Quarantine River, mm. 50 miles uh, into the rainforest. Um, and I think there's going to be about 20 indigenous pastors that are coming together for leadership training. Oh, amen. And I'll be doing that with them. And then we'll head back to Georgetown. Uh, when it's all said and done, uh, the Lord will allow me input with about a hundred pastors from all over uh, the South American country of uh, Guyana. That's fantastic. That is so good. Well, I tell you, I, um, I love, I love your book dancing with the impossible um, because it is, it's a, it's a story about missions. It's a story about your trips to Haiti. It's filled with so many incredible principles Um you know, I said to you before we went on the air that, um, man, we could do a 10-week series just on this book because there's so many great stories and and rich principles about leadership and servanthood and joining Jesus. And, 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 and I love the book because our tagline at the rooftop is joining Jesus in his mission. And this book is the story of you joining Jesus in his mission in, in so many different ways, especially especially in Haiti. But throughout your entire life as a missionary, I mean, you tell so many, so many stories. But what I found compelling was you choosing to use the metaphor of dance to describe what that looks like. So, so why did you choose dance as a way to describe joining Jesus in his mission? And, and I guess a follow up question would be, you know, what does it mean to dance with the impossible? Um, I, I love I just love that whole metaphor. 
Well, uh, when I thought of that at first, I uh, I had a flashback to my days in uh, junior high school. And uh, in Southern Florida, when it rained and you couldn't go outside for phys ed and um, all of that, uh, they would just bring all the kids uh, into the gymnasium and uh, for dancing. Well, I was from very conservative uh, uh, background, and my uh, my parents always gave me a note that uh, I was not to I was forbidden to dance. So I usually sat in the bleachers by myself, clutching my note. Uh, <laughs> David does not dance because. Uh, his religion won't let him. Well, later I got another reason, but uh, I mean, <clears throat> um, when you look out, if you're sitting in the bleachers and you look out on the dance floor, it looks chaotic. There's uh, there's people moving um, back and forth, uh, and to me, that metaphor, it's a metaphor for life. It, it evoked uh, connection, mm -hmm. freedom, uh, some creativity, even improvisation uh, is implied in that metaphor. Emotion, meaning. But I uh, began to look at it, you know, there was a point uh, in life where I couldn't be a spectator any longer. I couldn't just sit in the bleachers uh, watching what was going on. I felt uh, a call to the divine dance mm. uh, from a God who said, join me. Well, he did so. Uh, I think there's a verse where the, I, I talk about we don't need a voice. I did hear a voice when he called me into ministry and called me to preach. But uh, when he called me to join him in, in, in compassionate ministry and reaching out to others and saving the lost, I, uh, I came across this quote, you know, we don't, we don't need a voice. We don't need a voice from heaven to tell us to get out of the bleachers and get down and get involved in changing what's going on in life and in the lives of people. We have a verse. And of course, that verse is the Great Commission, mm -hmm. Matthew 28, 19, 20. And uh, so early on in my ministry, uh, I took my first mission trip abroad i i took 14 teenagers with myself and the senior pastor and our, our wives to montego bay mm. and uh, god we we had kind of a uh, a teen choir that was a popular thing in those in those days and uh, we lugged our sound equipment and all that stuff to a tent that had been erected on, uh, I talk in the book about alabaster. Well, uh, in our denomination, people give to this um, and we buy church properties. Well, they, 
the missionaries had put up a tent on the on a property bought by with alabaster funds where the new church would be planted mm. we went in there and incredibly and this was like okay a youth pastor never been on a mission trip before all of the kids had never been there but they joined jesus in montego bay where he was working they sang their hearts out every night. I alternated preaching with my senior pastor. And God gave us 83 converts in that tent crusade that week. And that became the core congregation of a new church, which is still going today. That was 1974. Amen. That's awesome. So, uh, and then... <clears throat> So many other things happened that when you join uh, God in where he's working, sometimes he puts you in strategic places mm. uh, where you can make a difference. Uh, and I think everybody needs to hear that call because it's, it's, it's not... Uh, it's not a calling for some. Mm, that's true. It's a mandate for all. Mm. And uh, that's our common mission. The, uh, the Lord of the harvest has invited us to join him. And that's one thing that excites me so much about uh, the ministry of rooftop and uh, where yeah. God has sent you mm. to join him all over the world. Uh, it's amazing to me. But um, I I was profoundly influenced, uh, met him personally, and was uh, he was brought in by uh, our denominational leaders from time to time to speak to pastors and leaders. Leonard mm -hmm. Sweet. And he said one time, it's time to, to press the reset button on Christianity. And wow. what he meant by that was uh, a re reboot in our understanding, a change of who is a minister. And the short answer is everyone is a minister. Um, and even more than that, he said, you really don't need a credential. <laughs> yeah, I love your that. Your baptism was your ordination in, into ministry. Your baptism commissioned you to join Jesus wherever he is working. And uh, that is so, and that is so that's powerful. Kind of, uh, that's the way I've tried to live my life. Yeah, that is so powerful. And yeah, I tell people all the time, the Great Commission is not the great option. Um, you know, Jesus wasn't giving us a choice. He was telling us, now that you are following me, you go and you make disciples. And and I do, I did, I did love that that statement in the book about where you talk about, you know, the fact we're all ministers. Uh, because yes. we we've created in the West, we've created this spectator mentality, this consumer mentality in the life of the church. 
right. where most people think, well, being a good, being a Christian is simply being a good church member. And I go and I find my seat on Sunday and I hear the message and therefore um, I've done my duty for the week. Um, and they have no concept that, that no, God's called you to be a minister. He's called you to go fish for people. Um, he's called you out of darkness to go into the light, to go back into the darkness with the light. And, and, you know, and, and so, um, yeah, I love, and I love that because I quote, I, I read that in that quote, Steve Fernandez's quote, you know, that when it comes to a calling, we don't need a voice. We have a verse. That's just a great quote. Um, you know, and everybody, everybody, everybody's a minister. And I keep, I keep saying that because people that are listening, so many Christians need to hear that. Um, that, that God has gifted you. He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit to go and do something. Um, and and with with the gospel. Um, and you talk about prayer in the book um, quite often. And both of us, um, of course, we have our mutual friend, Doug Small. And Doug, Doug has taught me so much about prayer over the years, um, more than I'll I'll ever. You know, I've always tell people, I said, I said, Doug will forget more than I'll ever learn about prayer. Um, it's just, he's just a wellspring there. But, but throughout the book, you talk about the importance of prayer. And I love this phrase, um, this phrase, somebody must pray the price. I love yes. that. Um, so as we dance with the impossible in, in our daily lives, why is prayer so critical? Because we're living in a day and age where we have so much prayerlessness in the church. Um, I'd love for you to speak into that, the vital importance of prayer. Well, uh, going back to that very first mission endeavor in Montego Bay, Jamaica, um, it was, I, I would say, parents and a local church that believed in missions paid the price so that those kids could go and have their, well, many of us, uh, their leader and and the kids themselves, uh, their first time uh, mission experience. Uh, it wasn't really organized as it should have been. I had a lot to learn about prayer too along the way, but I believe that it was the prayers of parents and a loving church that uh, sustained us during that week. You know, people don't just, uh, you don't just set up a tent and uh, issue an invitation and expect, you know, the kind of results that we did. I, I just believe that uh, on any given mission trip, there, there needs to be an organized attempt to bathe everything that we're doing. I, I, I loved what the, the motto of the Moravians, um, nobody, nobody works till somebody prays. Amen. That's true. I think I adapted that to say no one should go on a mission uh, trip without being bathed in prayer. Now I uh, I'm getting set to go on one, and and I've I've already asked my pastor if they would lay hands on me mm -hmm. 
and pray for me because if we have any um, effectiveness, I believe it's because somebody prayed. And that's where I, somebody prayed the price. I learned that as a pastor. And uh, in, in the last, uh, well, in one of my turnaround efforts, um, I had, I had been out on the West coast, uh, uh, in teaching sessions on C. Peter Wagner. Mm. And, uh, he talked to us about you, you leaders need to have intercessors. You need to have people that will be Aaron and her in your life, holding up your, your arms when your hands get tired. He told us, um, I have 200 intercessors. Amen. That's awesome. And he, said, he said to us, um, if you were Satan, who would you target? Um, and of course, he immediately answered, uh, um, Christians are the target, but pastors and their families are the bullseye. Mm-hmm. And you need to have people that will intercede for you on a daily basis. So uh, I was scheduled to go back and be in the the evening service there in Fort Wayne. And I scribbled some notes and just said, folks, uh, I need some intercessors. I need some people that will pray for me and the staff and our effectiveness on a daily basis. Well, that, that night, God gave me 46. Oh, wow. And uh, we began, as a result of prayer, to see people coming to Christ. We were adding um, 100 people by profession of faith every year. Uh, so I, be- I believe in the power of prayer. Well, then I was appointed a, a district superintendent. <sighs> well, the church intervening after that one, and uh, where the title to that forward on God sent me from a growing church. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were, we had already doubled in attendance and God sent me to a church in crisis. Mm-hmm. On the day that I arrived, the church had dropped from 1000 in attendance down to 500 mm-hmm. and it was dropping. And, uh, it was over, uh, a staff betrayal mm. of the pastor. Well, we had our first Sunday, and that week, the Lord woke me up at 2 o'clock one morning and said, David, the only way this church is going to move forward is on its knees in prayer. Amen. And I, I said, thank you, Lord. Well, we started a uh, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week chain of prayer. But in some situations, the strongholds of the enemy are so strong, even in local churches. We prayed for 13 weeks round the clock. No breakthrough. Mm. We were exhausted. (laughs) Uh, I had taken that 
two o'clock hour. Those wee hours of the night uh, are the hardest to fill. And uh, so we cut it back to one 24-hour chain of prayer a week, went another 13 weeks, no breakthroughs. Well, then we had people sign up for how many minutes they'd pray. We prayed for 11 months before you'll think this is this is not an answer to prayer but on the last sunday a a group of uh, people that could not reconcile 65 people walked out of the church on that sunday mm. and the core of people went Wow. That's over. Well, it wasn't over. There was a lot of healing to be done. But that became the backdrop of the backstory of that book Forward on Our Knees and what I what I learned through that process. Um, so I believe in the power of prayer. When I was appointed a superintendent, I let several years go by before I initiated prayer partners on a district. I went to I was over 65 churches in Northeastern Texas. Um, but when I asked people to join me in prayer, God gave me 900 prayer partners. Wow. And uh, again, we saw amazing answers to prayer. Our, our pastors were and their families were prayed for by someone every day of the month. Um, well, then I got appointed to Southern Florida and, uh, right after hurricane Katrina, mm. couldn't even have a proper farewell to the people because of the devastation and of for Katrina. Well, we headed there and, and the Lord turned, uh, my little Buick into, a into an altar of prayer and, the spirit came in and said, now, David, you're not going to wait seven years to initiate prayer partners, are you? I said, no, Lord, I'll start immediately. Well, God gave me 1,600, which happened to be about 10% of the overall uh, membership of Southern Florida at the time. And we saw we saw amazing answers to prayer because... Um, prayer is our supreme, our most essential weapon against the schemes of the enemy. He doesn't want us to succeed in anything we're doing. That's true. He wants us to fail. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants to lessen our effectiveness. So regardless of how brilliant we our planning and strategies are, if we don't have Holy Spirit power, we will not be as effective as we need to be. Amen. And I think I tell people all the time that prayer is probably the most misunderstood and underutilized gift that God has given us in the church today. And we know the stories. We know the stories of how many great revival movements and spiritual awakenings began often with just a handful of people who were crying out to God persistently. I think of the story of Moody 
um, when he went to that church with that the Sunday morning service was as dead as a doornail. And the lady goes home to tells her sister that D.L. Moody was at our church today. And her sister said, oh, I've been praying he would come to our church. Don't bring me any lunch. I'm going to spend the rest of the day in prayer. And D.L. Moody talks about going into that service that Sunday evening. And it was a whole shift in the atmosphere. And the Holy Spirit just fell on that service. And he preached with an anointing. And it was after that he heard the story about this lady who had gone to her bedroom when she heard he was cut, had come spent the entire day on her face fasting and praying for D.L. Moody. And we, we just don't realize that when we spend time pursuing the heart of God and seeking the face of God, God releases his power and presence through us. And and that makes makes all the difference in the world. Michael, I tell you, you use the word refreshing in the introduction. And you're right. Yeah. Spending time with David Nixon um, is refreshing. He's a man with a thousand stories and they're all incredible stories, but he's a man who just loves being on mission with Jesus. And one of the, one of the things he said early on um, is this, is this phrase. He said, it is not more seeking God wants, but more yeah. trusting. And then he asked that question, do you trust Jesus with your life? And as he said that, I thought to myself, man, that's the foundation of joining Jesus in his mission. We always talk about, you know, because we always talk about seeking God, seeking God, seeking God. But God says, what I want you to do is trust me. Do you trust me? And, and as David shares this story, he talks about how he trusted God with his life as a young man and how he has trusted God with his life. And as a result of that, God has used him in so many ways. Yeah. As he has surrendered his life to Jesus and said, use me wherever you will, just use me. And and man, what a wonderful truth. What a wonderful truth for us. Yeah. His life is such a parallel of so many things that are happening. And you think about this. He, he did that in the context. He said that there, there was a week of real battling confrontation for him. Mm -hmm. to come to this realization. And it was God told him, I don't need you to seek me more. I need you to trust me more. And I thought, man, what a powerful truth. And that's exactly what this Gen Z is looking for. At the same point in their life, as young college age, uh, you know, young adults or, or either in college or trade school, wherever they are, they're dealing with that same issue of I, I'm wanting real truth. And, and 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 God, I think God wants to say to them, you don't have to keep seeking me. You have to learn to trust me. Yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah. gotta learn to you gotta learn to trust me. So I thought, what a powerful word for today's generation. Here's something you can trust. Here's truth. Here's here's God's name. You can trust me and let me prove that to you. And I thought, what a wonderful, like refreshing. I mean. You never feel you never feel rushed. His tempo of conversation, his way of telling his stories. I mean, you could listen to him for hours, and all of a sudden you go, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe we've been here all day." Amen. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Uh, I love his story about the whole thing about the dance, mm. because he couldn't dance or he wasn't allowed to dance, there's a difference. Yeah. 
and that he sat in the bleachers all by himself, clutching his note. I love how he said, clutching my note that said, David can't dance. His religion won't let him. And I thought, mm, man, that's I, you could put that note in the hands of a lot of churches. <laughs> We're not allowed to dance. Our religion won't let us. And yeah. God's outside saying, let's dance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said it in his prayer and he said it in his statement. God didn't call us to sit on the bleachers, but he calls us to the divine dance to join him in his mission. Mm. What a powerful truth. God, God's wanting to embrace us and he's wanting us to embrace him and, and to be in that divine dance of celebration, of sharing the good news, the divine dance of celebrating with someone who comes to Christ, the divine dance of, of leading someone to know Jesus better and better so that they're ready to invite somebody else to the dance, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I loved, I don't know where the, I don't know who the original quote was from. I, I, mm -hmm. I haven't read his book, but I'm, I want to go back and read it, but we don't need a voice to tell us yeah. to be yeah. involved in other people's lives because we have a verse and he said, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And I always want to remind people, please add verse 18. <laughs> verse 18 is the key. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe, and I'm going to be with you. The threefold promise that he's, he's with us. He's called us to the mission. He's with us in the mission, and he's going to be with us until the mission is over. And that's part of the dance. He is a dance partner that that doesn't allow. And, and here's the issue. In a dance, sometimes somebody will tap you on the shoulder and want to cut in. Mm -hmm. We have to be careful about who we let cut in when we're, when we're doing the divine dance with Jesus because it's real easy to walk away from him and all of a sudden be in something else that imitates the dance. Mm. That's good. Good point. Good point. Mm. And I love that whole statement about you. Your baptism is your ordination in the ministry. <laughs> yep. And that's the first time I've ever heard that. But that whole verse, I mean, you go back to the conversation we had with Caesar Kolonowski and he outlines our whole life, our whole power dynamic and our life dynamic is in Matthew 28, 18, 19 and 20. He reminds us this is the invitation to the divine dance. And that at that moment, when we're baptized and we're taught to observe all things, at that moment, we receive that commission. We're, in the, we're there. It's not that we get to choose or, or choose not to be. We're either active or we've chosen to sit down and not be active. Mm -hmm. But we are commissioned to do it. I, I love it. What a, what a sense of ordination. I have been set aside because that's what ordination is. I've been set aside by God to do the work and to join Jesus in his mission to be a part of the divine dance in the world. Amen. It's powerful. Powerful. It is. It is. And then, of course, prayer. Um, the Moravians, you know, um, that Moravian statement, which was the heartbeat of the Moravian movement, yes. was nobody works until somebody prays. Nobody works until somebody prays. 
And, and he talks about effective mission only happens when people pray. And he has several stories that back that up yes. about how people covered them and their teams in prayer and how God moved and answered to those, those prayers. And he talks about what we all know so, so well, many of us, that prayer is the most our most effective weapon against the schemes of the enemy. Therefore, and here's that great, great, great phrase. Somebody must pray the price, not pay the price, pray the price. Pray the price. And never heard that phrase till I heard it in this conversation. I had never heard that phrase. And what a great phrase that somebody yeah. must pray the price because prayer is the greatest work is what Chambers says. You know, prayer is the work as yeah. we come before the father and we, and, and we spend time crying out to him for the souls of men, for revival, for awakening. And we pray the price. Um, you look at every great revival, every great movement of God, Michael, we, we, we can all take every one of those back to one, two, three, five, 10, 20 people who are fervently praying the price. That's what happened in Asbury earlier this year, 20 students were praying the price and, and God heard their prayers and sent an awakening and a revival to Asbury. Um, and we see that all through history. Yeah. So, I, so the question I think for all of us, Michael, is: Are we praying the price? Yeah. If you really want to see revival, you really want to see God move. Are we willing to pray the price um, yeah. and 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 press into the heart of God? Man, what what a great great conversation! And this was just part one. Next yeah. week, two, and we get to hear the rest of the story and even some more great takeaways. So, um, thank you for joining us today. If you want, would like to get a copy of. This book, it's called Dancing with the Impossible by David Nixon. If you go to davidfnixon.com, that's his website, and you can um, get a copy of the book from, from his website. You can also find it on Amazon and other sites as well. It's called Dancing with the Impossible. Great, great book. And so today, if you if you were inspired, if you liked what you saw today and you said, man, I want, I want people to know about this. Well, share this with other people. Um, like it. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Rooftop TV, and set that notification bell. And that way, every time there's a new episode coming out, once they come out every Tuesday, you'll get a notification. And, and then leave a review. If you are watching this or listening to this on Spotify, um, CastBox, or any of the other platforms that we use for our rooftop perspectives. If you want to know more about us at The Rooftop, um, go to the rooftop.org and rooftops, a global ministry in over 65 countries, helping the church get a fresh vision of God's heart for the lost, making disciples who make disciples. And we'd love to you to be a part of the movement. And then last but not least, we invite you to join us next March in Dallas, Texas, either online or on site for our two day discipleship summit, where we will be talking about how do we go beyond the walls to make disciples who make disciples in the places where we live, work, and play. And we look forward to seeing you next March in Dallas, Texas. It's going to be a great, great summit. So thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us and to listen and be a part of this podcast. We look forward to next week as we listen to part two with our time with David Nixon. God bless.